A reading from the book of Luke. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed." and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a great story about uh, the legendary saxophonist, saxophonist, uh, is the way I pronounce it, but nobody understood that, saxophonist, John Coltrane. So after one, like, um, incredibly intense, in his mind, perfect um, rendition of a love supreme, which is his his masterwork. He he stepped off the stage and he put his sax- saxophone down, and he simply said the words "nunc dimittis," "nunc dimittis." So what he meant by that was that he felt like he could never play the piece any more perfectly than he did right at that moment, and if his whole life had been lived just for that moment, for that thirty-two minute jazz prayer. Well, it all would have been worth it, and he was ready to go meet his maker. The gospel passage that Jen just read includes what is known as the Nunc Dimittis, or the Song of Simeon. Uh, The Nunc Dimittis is the Latin translation for the song's opening words as Simeon is cradling the baby Jesus. Now dismiss me, or um, I now have permission to depart. It's okay. So it's a canticle, it's sung at our morning and evening prayer services, and it's taken directly from the scripture that you just heard. Lord, you have now set your servant free 
to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see. These eyes of mine have seen the Savior. Simeon has an up-close and personal um, connection with Jesus. So what's happening uh, in this passage is that Mary and Joseph, uh, they bring Jesus to the temple 40 days after his birth, which means Christmas was 40 days ago. And like every other Jewish observant parents, they uh, dedicate, they're there to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord and to make a sacrifice according to Jewish law, a sacrifice of two young turtle doves or a pair of young pigeons. That's what the law required. I'm glad, I mean, that's what they did there. It was messy. I'm glad we don't have to do that at baptisms. Um, The law, uh, interestingly, didn't actually require the child himself to be there in the temple, uh, just the the parents and the sacrifice needed to be there. But Jesus' parents decide to bring him anyway. And it's a good thing that they did because there are two elderly people who have been waiting at this temple for this one moment. Um, They're glad that Jesus was there. The first is Simeon, and he's described as a righteous and a devout man. He'd been long waiting to see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him to say, you won't see death, you won't depart until you see the Lord's Messiah, whom he calls the Consolation of Israel. It's a beautiful name for Jesus, the Consolation of Israel. The second is an 84-year-old prophet named Anna. Um, her, she'd been married just seven years as a young girl, presumably, and then her husband died and she lived as a widow in the temple. She stayed in the temple all the time. She fasted, she prayed, and when she saw Jesus, she began to praise God and she spread the word about the redemption of Jerusalem in the person of Jesus. So I love the fact that we have two octogenarians in the uh, gospel passage this evening, two 80-year-olds. Um, We're used to young, fiery prophets like uh, Jeremiah or John the Baptist. It's it's more unusual that here we have senior citizen prophets. Elderly people uh, in our culture are often sidelined, aren't they, Um, by many, but they still have wisdom and wit to share. My own father is is 88. He's an octogenarian. He's he's had some bad health issues, so due to those he... Uh, has been, uh, he lives in a memory care unit in a very small assisted living facility. And it's so small that all the residents eat together at a little kind of just a, a gathering at, at the table. And there's a new resident there, a, a new resident, a very dignified gentleman uh, whom I'll call Mr. McMullen. And um, one day he slept through breakfast, he slept late, didn't get up until right before lunch and he, he, he came out to the table where everybody was already seated and his very, you know, white hair was all askew. And he walked right up to one of the elderly women sitting at the table. He leaned over and grabbed her face and gave her a big kiss right on the lips. And the staff and the other residents exclaimed, Mr. McMullen, you can't do that. 
And he answered, why not? That's my wife, isn't it? The wife, a woman was, in fact, not his wife. This is where it gets really good, the story. Then, not making this up, the elderly woman sitting right next to the lady who just got this big, juicy smooch on her lips, the elderly woman leaned over to her and said, wow, I bet that's the best action you've had for a long time. That doesn't really have a lot to do with a sermon I'm preaching tonight, but they're old people, Anna, old, Simeon, old. Pope Francis, in fact, uh, commenting on this passage, said that um, we should consider Anna and Simeon as senior citizen prophets. And he says it's a, it's a meeting between young people who are full of joy in observing the law of the Lord, and elderly who f- are filled with, the, with, with joy for the action of the Holy Spirit. It's a unique encounter between observance and prophecy, where young people are the observers and the elderly are the prophetic. It's usually the other way around, at least we think it is. So what do Simeon and Anna prophesy? Or rather, the question is, whom do they prophesy? Well, I'd like to imagine that um, Simeon and Anna, they're in their 80s. They've lived eight decades on this earth. They've been around. They've experienced life. And maybe they have come to the conclusion of Solomon, who is another elder, wise person, who says in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What does man gain? by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. So Simeon and Anna, at the end of their days, were looking for hope. They were looking for meaning. They were looking for truth. And they found it in Jesus, the consolation of Israel. Simeon and Anna are not alone in finding hope in Jesus Christ. So, you know, when that child grew up, that child, people thronged to be with Jesus. They just couldn't get enough of Jesus. When Jesus was teaching, he would go somewhere else to try to be alone, and people went on foot to get him, to be with him. They wanted to be around him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to be talked to by him. They wanted to touch him. They wanted him to touch them. They couldn't get enough of Jesus of Nazareth. And people still do. People still do. Here we are 2,000 years later. And since that day in the temple, somewhere, this is an estimate, of course, between 3 and 4 billion people in all ages and all across the globe, since that day, have found their personal consolation in Jesus, these eyes of mine, not his, not hers, not theirs, mine, Here's the personal connection. These eyes of mine have seen the Savior. So why is it that he was and is still so attractive? Well, there are a million reasons, but I'm going to give you one reason that connects in with the end of the sermon. There is a description of a character named Oliver Ward in Wallace Stegner's The uh, Angle of Repose that I found arresting about 
Ward uh, is said, he understood human weakness. He didn't blame people. Now, um, it sounds simple, but think about your own relationships with the people that you're closest to, even. It's so tempting and um, so easy to expect others to perform in such a way, to be perfect, and then to blame them when they're not, and to blame them for their shortcomings, to blame them for being human. But when we do that, all that does, of course, you know this from experience, it just drives judgment, it drives a wedge between you and the person that you wish to be close to. I believe one powerful reason that people throng to Jesus Christ is because he understood human beings' weakness. And he didn't blame people for being people. Again, not only is he the consolation of Israel, but this is directed to you personally as well. That is the reason to be a Christian. That is the reason to come to church, so that you too can say, my eyes, these eyes of mine, have seen the Savior, the consolation, my consolation. And if you feel that you haven't had a real encounter with the man himself, there's no time like the present. You can say the sinner's prayer. There's no need to wait till later. I will close with the story of, a, of another man who did meet the Savior, whose eyes saw the Savior toward and at the very end of his life. It's a story of Francis Gilmer, Gilmer Hall over at UVA. Um, it comes from Mike Dickens' book about our history at Christ Church on our 200th anniversary. So Francis Gilmer, was, he was the first law professor at UVA. He was Jefferson's protege. Jefferson loved uh, Francis Gilmer. And um, he was accomplished. He was an erudite scholar, maybe the most of his era. He'd been around the world. He had seen the world. He, in fact, was sent by Jefferson to Europe uh, to handpick the first faculty for UVA, which he did, and did with success. However, when he was there, his health broke down, and he returned to Charlottesville uh, in bad shape. In his biography, Gilmer's biography, as well as all his private uh, correspondence with Thomas Jefferson, there is no mention whatsoever about his relationship with God or his, his Christian faith at all. And yet, in 1826, right before he died, uh, Gilmer donated our Christ Church's first communion silver. 1826, it's right there. We, we use it every Sunday. You receive communion off of it. You will in just a minute. He gave that gift. Why? Why? Well, we know the answer from his brother's account of Francis's final days. His brother Peachy went to be with him uh, at his deathbed. He lay dying of tuberculosis at Farmington, which was uh, then his uncle's estate. And right before he died, Francis shared his previously hidden faith in Christ with his brother. Peachy writes, he said he died a Christian that he believed in Christ and had prayed to him for the last two years, that he believed in the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, 
and that he had read the Bible more than anyone of his age and requested us to make it known to his relatives. Francis Gilmer, accomplished man of the world, perhaps he discovered it to be vanity of vanities, but in the end, he found his consolation in Christ. These eyes of mine have seen Savior. Now, Mary and Joseph, as I just said, didn't have to bring Jesus to the temple that day. All they needed to bring were the turtle doves or the pigeons to make a sacrifice. That sacrifice, when he was 40 days old, would be a harbinger of the sacrifice that was to come, that he might be not the consolation only of Israel, but of you and me and all the world. The sword that will pierce Mary's soul, as Simeon said, that sword would be that sacrifice, the death of her son on the cross. He would become the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. For not only did Jesus not blame people on the cross, we who should be blamed, that blame he took on himself. For you and me, that we might be consoled. So then, now and always, look to the cross. Lord, you now have set your servant free, for these eyes of mine have seen the Savior. Amen.